Lord God, thank you for our worship this morning. Thanks for um, sending your spirit to be with us here. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here in our midst. And we just love you so much. We love being with you, with one another, and uh, shouting out, declaring who you are, uh, your goodness. We thank you for your word. And we want to be with you this morning. We want to be encouraged by you. Uh, We want to hear what you have to tell us, God. So we just open up our hearts this morning. God, me particularly, Father, I just want to open up my heart to um, your commands, your desires, your ways, uh, that we could uh, see your kingdom coming here uh, in Nicholasville, God, in Justman County. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so um, so we are uh, at the end of the book of Mark, and uh, we're going to be closing up the book, our study of the book of Mark uh, this morning. And I hope that you've taken advantage of this time. It's, it's great when we study a gospel to be able to just, just to be with Jesus, you know, uh, just to sit at his feet and receive from him uh, who he is, his love, his servant heart, his humility, um, and especially in Mark, his power and his authority and his kingship. Uh, what an awesome thing to be with him. I hope that when you came to the end of Mark and you saw that scene where the centurion, you know, he's at the, he's at the cross, uh, and he says, surely this man was the Son of God. Uh, he saw in that moment that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, and uh, I hope you were able to behold him as you walk through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus To recap from last week, Bill talked and uh, opened up the scripture for us uh, regarding the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, uh, both the the spiritual world and the natural world was shaken. Remember that scene? Uh, Dad talked a little bit about what went on in the natural, how the world both spiritual and natural, was shaken. And a new creation, a new kingdom was established when Jesus resurrected, when he went from death to life. He ushered in a new kingdom, a new creation. And now all of us, all of those, all of anyone who believes in Jesus, who repents, and who follows after him, they have now, you have now become a new creation, like Bill said last week. You are a new creation. You're a new person. The old has passed away. The new has come. And instead of being someone who is a destroyer, someone who's self-centered, who's a consumer, who cares about themselves, you've been transformed into a person that is a giver, that is a lover, that is a creator, that, that is one who blesses others. That's your identity. You have a new identity in Jesus now. And oh man, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that we hear. This is what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. We are new. We are created new. Nothing else can bring life to the human spirit. Only Jesus and what he did on the cross. So we have an amazing gospel that has now been... It was, has now taken seat. It's, it's done a thing in our hearts. And we get to declare it to the world. Well, after Jesus rose from the dead, 
Uh, we read that um, he appeared to his followers. And the first person that he appeared, if, you, if you're following along, this is, in the, is the end of Mark, uh, the first person that he appeared to was Mary Magdalene. She's a woman, and, and she was a woman that had, uh, had seven demons. You remember that? She had seven demons, and Jesus uh, cast them out of her. Uh, and after she uh, saw Jesus, she ran to the rest of the disciples and told them, Hey, guys, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He's alive. But they didn't believe her. And so Jesus has to show up uh, uh, in a room where all of those disciples are together. And he shows up there and he says, guys, listen, I have, I have defeated the powers of death. I've resurrected. And he rebukes them for their hard hearts because they didn't believe Mary when she came and she told them that, that Jesus had been resurrected. If you remember... He had told them many times while he was with them that he was going to die. And then there were going to be three days, and then he was going to be resurrected. But even after hearing that from Jesus, they couldn't believe it when it actually happened. After his resurrection, we know that Jesus spent some amount of time with his disciples, talking with them, explaining to them what had happened. Kind of, it was, in John, it talks about him opening up the scriptures uh, from the Old Testament that declared all these things that were going to happen. We know uh, that Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians that there were over 500 people that got to see Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. And, and uh, there's some interesting things that the, that the Bible definitely points out about what, what some of the things that Jesus did. It says that he ate fish with them, right? Uh, it also says that some of the disciples got to touch his body, touch his scars, uh, where he had been pierced and and where the nails had been driven uh, through his hands and feet. They got to see that. But after this, he ascended into heaven. One of the things that Mark points out uh, in chapter 16 is that Jesus ascended to heaven to the right hand of God. The right hand of God. The right hand of God is the seat of authority. This is the place of authority that had been talked about in the Old Testament. Here's a verse from Psalms 110.1. It says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So when we see that Jesus is is seated at the right hand of the Father of God, the significance here is that after coming and doing his work and defeating the power of sin and death, Jesus sits in the throne seat. He's at the right hand of God. He is now king. He is now ruler over heaven and earth after he returned. So, in this period between when Jesus resurrects from the dead and when he ascends, in the book of Mark, Mark includes only one conversation, one quotation of the words of Jesus that he shared with his disciples. We know he he said a lot of things, but Mark chooses one conversation, and it's a conversation that he had with all of his disciples together, and it's some instructions that he gives them. I want you to think about uh, this conversation for a second. This is the last conversation that Jesus gets to have with his disciples. These are the disciples that he spent years of his life with, training drawing them into his presence and who he is, becoming friends with them, 
um, battling the enemy with them, experiencing miracles and signs with them. These are people that, that Jesus really loved. And he's having this conversation knowing that he is about to leave them in the world. And he's leaving them with something very, very significant. In parables, Jesus called it a pearl of great price or a great treasure that he's leaving them with. You see, this group of people that were gathered together in this room, his disciples, were the only people on the face of the earth that understood and that knew the significance of what had just happened on the cross. You see, God had been working throughout eternity for years and years and years to bring about this moment of Jesus' sacrifice and death and resurrection on the cross. And it all culminated in that. And now, this message, this gospel, was being handed to this gang of men and women who couldn't even believe that he had done what he said he was going to do when Mary came and told him. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I have a daughter, and she's about, she's, she's five, and uh, she has a brother uh, who's also five. It's weird, I don't know how that happened. Uh, but my daughter loves to color, uh, to paint, uh, to draw pictures, and she draws pictures of our family, and they're awesome, I love them. She, she spends a lot of time on them. She's very meticulous, and she'll sit there uh, uh, for for a long time and, and, and make these pictures that have multiple colors. Usually it's, it's a picture of the family or she likes princesses. I saw that, I don't know what that princess back there is named, but she likes that one. Uh, it's one of the Disney ones. What? Rapunzel, yeah. Uh, she really likes the Frozen one, but she'll draw these, draw these pictures and, uh, you know, she'll come and show them to us. And a lot of times her brother, Tucker, uh, we'll see him, and he'll want to see him, and he'll say, hey, can I see that? And when he asks her to see, see her pictures, uh, I see this look of terror come across <laughs> her face. Uh, she's smart. She knows Tucker pretty well, and there's literally nothing I have ever given Tucker that he hasn't, like, dismantled and destroyed, like, absolutely destroyed. Uh, he just destroyed a remote control car that I got him for his uh, birthday. So he's really good at that. And, and, and so I see the look in her eyes, and she's like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I want to cultivate the relationship, so I'll say, hey, let's give it to Tucker. And so she'll give it to him, but she walks right beside him wherever he goes while he's got it. Because she knows that he's, like, looking for the toilet to throw it in or you know, something like that. I wonder, I wonder what Jesus thought as he was leaving these disciples with the gospel, with a means of salvation um, for his creation, for his sons and daughters. He's leaving it with them. On top of this, you know, I mentioned this, but Jesus really loved this group. He really cared for them. They were precious to him. They were precious to his heart. And he was leaving them in the earth. 
He was their leader. He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. They were his students. They were his followers. Would they, would they be able to make it in the earth without him there to lead them, to guide them, to instruct them, to encourage them? I've thought about this a little bit. I don't know exactly. I mean, we're, this is pretty near to when, when Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. I don't know when Satan actually realized, or if he had at that point, what had just happened on the cross. But I know that Jesus knew what had just happened. And I know that Jesus knew that now as he was leaving, that the full power of the enemy of Satan uh, and his followers were now going to be pointed at this group. They were now going to be focusing their attention to destroy the kingdom of light and the earth, and it was this, this group of people that Jesus had discipled. And so the full onslaught of the enemy was about to come against them. And we know it did, because we know the stories of their lives. I, uh, Thomas knows a little bit about this story. I got COVID uh, last January, and after getting COVID, I think something happened in my brain neurologically or something. I don't know exactly. I don't think anybody knows exactly what happened, but I stopped being able to sleep. I used to be an awesome sleeper. Uh, but I stopped being able to sleep, and there was an extended period of about like seven or eight days that I did not sleep at all. And when you don't sleep for that long, I don't know if you've ever gone time without sleeping, but you know, you kind of know a little bit of what I was going through. Like, you're, it gets kind of wacky up here. It gets kind of like irrational in your brain, so ideas pop in and out. Well, I, uh, I remember, you know, about five or six days into that, uh, one morning about you know, in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., 3 a.m., whatever it was, I, this thought popped into my head that I was going to die. I was not going to survive COVID and not being able to sleep and my body not being able to recuperate, and I wasn't going to make it. And it, I mean, it was totally kind of a rational idea because I was actually doing okay. Uh, but I, I was convinced that I was going to die. Um, and that thought just kind of kept, like, spinning in my head. I couldn't get it out of my head because I hadn't slept. And I actually called Thomas later that morning. I waited till about 8 o'clock, to 8 a.m. to call Thomas. And he's like, no, you're going to be all right. So I was okay. But in that moment, it was so real to me that I was, I was in trouble. And uh, one of the things that popped into my head is that, man, uh, like, I am, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. And how are, what, how are my kids going to be able to handle life without me? And how's my wife going to be able to handle life without me? And it, just all that came crashing down on me. And uh, I'm supposed to be the rock. I'm supposed to be the one that, that is here to take care of them when they face difficult situations. You know, I thought a lot about my son and, you know, his confidence and his ability to be who he needs to be. Um, how would he be able to do that without me? Um, as a father there to kind of reinforce him, to strengthen him in those times. And so I, I had my phone with me, and I was like, you know what? I need to, I'm going to record a message for each one of my kids and my wife so they'll have it forever. They'll know that message, and it will, it, it'll let them know that I love them, that I care for them. So I actually started kind of creating, uh, you know, a message to give them. But what do you say? 
what would you include in that message? Like, what if you, have you ever thought about that? What if you were suddenly unable to be with your family or your close friends anymore, uh, and, and, but you wanted them to know that you cared for them, you wanted them to be successful and succeed? What would you share with them? What would you want them to know? What would your last words be? That's what I want to look at this morning what message did Jesus leave with his disciples as he knew he was leaving them in the body? He was no longer going to be able to be with them and walk with them as they continued to extend the kingdom of God. What did he think were the most important things to leave them with? Words that would encourage them, that would strengthen them, that would sustain them, that would give them vision, that would help them accomplish the mission that God had called them to. So what I want to do is look at this message that we have here uh, this, these, this phrase, this uh, conversation that we have between Jesus and his disciples here at the end of Mark in chapter 16. What I want to do is this conversation is included in all of the four Gospels. Um, so what I want to do is I want to go through it in all of the Gospels and then we'll end it in Mark. And I want to focus on the message that, that Mark brings out of this conversation. This conversation is included in all the Gospels, but it's a little bit different. There's a little different focus in each of the tellings of this uh, conversation. Uh, So I want to look at those. They're good because they give us a a fuller understanding from different perspectives of what went on in the conversation, but you'll notice that each one has some different emphasis. They're not inconsistent. Uh, They're the same story, but they just focus on something a little bit different in each one. So, Let's jump in. I'll give you the verse. We'll read it, and then I'll give a couple of uh, points from each one. So we're just going to kind of go chronologically, or uh, I guess in the order that they appear in the Bible. Let's start in Matthew. So if you go to Matthew chapter 28, it's verses 18 and 20. Let me read it for you. And Jesus came. This is them all together, all right? The disciples are all together, and here is Jesus kind of sharing his heart with them. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what is Jesus, what does he want them to know? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. This idea is included in every single gospel when we hear this conversation. It's the thrust of the conversation. It's the main point. Jesus is telling them that after I leave, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus gives them a mission, a work. They're not just to sit and enjoy the fact that they've been saved from their sins, but he gives them a mission. And this mission is the singular, primary, important calling of their lives. It is to go and make disciples. Not go and tell people, just tell people how they should be living their lives, but to go, give your life to them, live with them, walk with them, just as Jesus had walked with his disciples, and to make disciples, other people, that could follow Jesus, that could obey him, that could walk in relationship with him. Second, he told them, I am in control. 
First he says, go make disciples, but then he also tells them, listen guys, I'm in control. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He wants them to know that every spiritual power, every natural power in the world is now under his control. And they are going to be his servants. They are going to be his ambassadors. And as they go out and as they make disciples and they face the dangers and the challenges of making disciples, he is in control. They don't need to fear. They don't need to worry. When those things come against him, Jesus is in control. He has the authority. Also, at the end of that, it says, one of the most amazing promises in the Scripture, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? I mean, if God was in control of everything and he was very distant and he didn't even know what you were doing with your life, that wouldn't be so significant to you, would it? But here we understand that he is both in control and he is walking with you in every situation in your life. He sees every challenge that you're facing and he is with you and he is in control. Actually, one of the things that I thought of when I was thinking about my daughter is to be able to tell her, you know, know, I'm talking about that little scenario where I was in La La Land. One of the things I thought I could tell her is, and people often say this to other people, I'm always going to be with you. Right? But when I say I'm always going to be with you, what I'm talking about is like the memory of me or the, the spirit of me, of who I was at one time. It's going to go with you. All those things, who I was, is going to go with you. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying he is literally in time, dynamically with you in every situation. And then he is in complete control. That's a great promise. All right. So let's jump to Luke. The same conversation. Luke 24, chapter 24, 46 through 49. I'll read it. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses. Of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Give a faithful, accurate witness of the gospel. It's the same idea here as you heard in Matthew of going and making disciples, but it's a little different emphasis that you see in Luke. Luke focuses in on this idea of being a witness. He's telling them, listen, you were there. You saw exactly what happened. You also know the scriptures of what was prophesied that needed to happen on the cross. You know these things. I want you to go tell other people exactly what happened. I want you to have a a clear understanding of what happened on the cross because what happened there results in repentance and forgiveness for all of the world. And I want you to go relay this story. So know it. Know it accurately. Know it faithfully. Don't tell a different story. Don't put another spin on it. But share 
accurately, faithfully, what really happened, not what you feel happened, what happened. It's important that people know what happened exactly. Second, right, he's telling them things to sustain them. The next thing he says is, do not act without the Holy Spirit. Do not, do not begin your witness without the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to give you power to be who you need to be. But you need to wait right here. You do not need to go out in your own power, in your own strength, and attempt to do this on your own. You wait on the Holy Spirit for him to come and give me power. Amen. All right. The next one is in John. John chapter 20, and it's 21 through 23. John is a little different tells the story of the end a little differently. But starting in verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Going out. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So here in John... Jesus tells them, I want to underline this, lay down your life for others. He wanted his disciples to know to lay down their lives for others. John's a little bit different in that a lot of John revolves around, it's a very personal book, it's very relational. And a lot of it revolves around Jesus' relationship with the disciples. Really, really pulls that out. And a lot of the end, if you remember, the end of the book of John, it really focuses in on, on Jesus' relationship with John and his relationship with Peter there at the end. There's some extra stories there that we get about Peter. And, and really what Jesus is doing with Peter in those scenes by the lake uh, and uh, later on talking about really Peter and John's relationship with one another is, is Jesus is telling Peter, listen, I want you to lay your life down for the church, for the flock. I want you to love the church. And I want you to know that you need to be prepared to give up your life for the church, to give up your life for the kingdom. You remember those stories? Well, not only was he saying that to Peter, but in this room when he was with all the disciples, he's saying the same thing to them. He's saying, listen, God sent me, and just like God sent me to do the things that I did, I'm now going to send you to do those very same things. And part of this message is, it's personal. It's Jesus saying, listen, you know that relationship, that special connection that I have with God, where, you know, when I, when I was, you know, remember in the garden where I, you know, I was having difficulty facing the cross, I'd cry out to him, and he'd be here with me, strengthening me. You know how I rely on him? Well, that's the dynamic of our relationship now. I'm sending you out to do what I've called you to do, but I'm going to be with you. But very clearly here also, what he's saying is that you're going to need, disciples, you're going to need to sacrifice your lives. You're going to need to serve those around you. You're going to need to lay down your lives for others so that they can come into relationship with their heavenly Father. Very big part of this going out and declaring the gospel is about laying your life down for other people. That's John. That's awesome. 
All right, so that brings us to Mark, and here's where we really need to focus and to key in on these things is, uh, well, this is the book we're going through, but this has got some special stuff in here for us. It's Mark 16, and if uh, you look it up, it's Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. Let me read it. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And this is a cool... I, I think of uh, Peter the most. Peter's, there's a lot of Peter in the book of Mark, if you notice. But I think of Peter hearing this and getting really, really excited <laughs> about what he was going to get to do. So, here we are in Mark. And I don't believe that it's a mistake that this message was recorded for us. And here's one of the reasons I say that. If you look about halfway down in 17, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. This is a message for us, for you and me right here today. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In fact, he's not just talking to that group of uh, men and women that were in that room with him. He's talking about them, but he's also talking about every single person who believes in him and who takes up this call. That's you. That's me. That's us. So when we read this, this is like Jesus coming and telling us his last instructions for us. His last encouragements for us. This is not about some myth or some story that happened in the past. This is about here, right now. So, number one, go share the gospel with everyone. Right? Go into all the world. Share with the whole creation. Here again, Jesus wants it to be clear. He wants his his disciples to know very clearly that they're called to be on a mission. You are called to be on a mission. We are commanded, this is a commandment, to proclaim the gospel in the earth. Go is the call. The call is go. Go out into the world. Leave your comfort zone and go share the gospel. This is the high calling of the church. From the very beginning, as Jesus sent them out, this is our high calling to proclaim the gospel. Our lives get so busy with many, many things. And sometimes this becomes just a part of who we are. But what I want to encourage us from these words is that this is what we should be busy with. This high calling, this one thing of going and sharing the gospel to the lost. This is what should consume our time and our lives. There should be a spirit of evangelism that covers over you all as a community. 
It should knit you together. It should be a single purpose. Your heart should beat with passion to share the gospel. Your conversations together should be full of talk about evangelism. You should wake up at three in the morning with dreams of sharing the gospel. It should be everything. We have lists, you know, I know, I know in our church we, we try to have vision and purpose for our families and our lives and we put lists together of all of the things that we need to focus on in the year. That list should not be a list of job, family time, entertainment, education, civic responsibility, and evangelism. That's not how that list needs to look anymore. That list needs to be go share the gospel. That's the list. Go share the gospel. You should go and you should get a job so that you can have enough money to buy some food and have people over to your house to eat that food with you and you should share the gospel with them. <laughs> you should exercise. I know you hate this. You should exercise so that you have strong lungs so that you can share the gospel to a lot of people. Amen. You should educate your children. Make sure they have a good education so they can clearly share the gospel with other people. I think sometimes, you know, we get so busy with all the things that we think we need to be doing. But I think there is a simplification, uh, a purifying that needs to happen. We need to get back to the centrality of sharing the gospel. Next, number two, people will be condemned if they do not believe in me. Jesus just gave the call to go share the gospel. The next thing he does, he wants his disciples to understand. He wants to leave them with this message that here's the reason you go. Here's, a re here's the reason why this is significant, why you need to go. Jesus explains to his disciples that those who believe in the gospel will be saved, uh, but that those that reject it or don't believe in it, they're going to be condemned. They're going to be eternally separated from their father. What's the implication of this? You have the gospel. It's either received or rejected, and people's eternal lives are changed based on that. Well, the implication here is that whether or not you share the gospel with people is very, very significant. Because if they don't hear the gospel, they can't believe in the gospel. And God has set up the extension of his kingdom, the moving forward of his kingdom on this one thing. We are the means by which people hear the gospel. And if we don't share the gospel, people do not have the opportunity to believe in the gospel. Man, that's, in, that's intense. <laughs> in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, it says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is, this is the plan. <laughs> From that point, when Jesus left, the plan was now, you are my people. It's your work. It's your responsibility to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to make it known to people so that they can return to a loving relationship with their heavenly Father. That's pretty intense. <laughs> so let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. There's your reason. All right, number three. When you go, we get a little switch here. This is first go. Now I'm going to do some when you goes. When you go, you will have power to cast out demons. One of the most uh, significant or like distinctive things about the Gospel of Mark, I think you saw this when you were reading through the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus had constant confrontation with the enemy. Every time that he was healing somebody or that he was moving the kingdom forward, people would come out and they were full of demons and they would be opposing uh, the extension of the kingdom of God through Jesus uh, in the earth. Remember, these are his last words, right? These are things, this is something significant that Jesus wants his disciples to understand, to know, to remember, so that they can be successful in their mission. He wants them to know, listen guys, I have granted you, I have given you the power to cast out demons. I've given you the power over demonic activity, demonic oppression in the world. So, we need to, as we go, we need to have our spiritual antennas tuned. I don't know, I guess you tune spiritual antennas. We need to recognize that we're not just fighting a natural battle. This is a spiritual thing that's going on. And we need to recognize the enemy. We, don't, we need to jump out of our natural kind of like educated minds of what goes on in the natural, but we need to understand that a lot of the opposition that we face is demonic. We need to see it when it's there. And we need to know this, that in the name of Jesus, we have the power to cast those things out. We need to be doing that now as we extend the kingdom of God. It's significant. It's important. We also need to remember in Mark 9, you can look it up in verse 29, the disciples had a little bit of trouble casting out demons. People made fun of them for it. And Jesus explained to them that sometimes it takes prayer to cast out demons. Sometimes it, it's not going to happen right away. But sometimes it takes extended, intense prayer when we run into situations, when we run into people where there's demonic activity, we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to get on our knees and dedicate time in prayer to see those demons destroyed. If you're counting, it's number four. When you go, you will speak in new tongues. I love this one. When you go, you will speak in new tongues. Uh, I, I like speaking in tongues. Um, Jesus has given us a supernatural ability to communicate. When we are about the work of the kingdom, he gives us a spiritual ability to communicate that's beyond our natural abilities to communicate. You remember the story of Moses when God had called him to go and set 
the people of Israel free in Egypt. He said, I want you to go. And Moses kind of, you know, balked at that a little bit at the beginning. He didn't want to go. And one of his excuses was that, listen, I'm not good at talking. <laughs> I don't talk good. Uh, I, I can't communicate the things that you want me to communicate to Pharaoh. I, be, I believe probably some of that was, you know, anxiety. He did not want to have to talk in front of Pharaoh. But also, I think he thought, I just, I can't do that. I'm not a good enough communicator. I think, that's, uh, I think that's something that plagues us. When we think about going and communicating the gospel to people, I think there's this, this fear or this anxiety of being able to communicate what we need to communicate. But here's the truth that Jesus wants you to know as you go forth. He is going to give you the ability to communicate even in new tongues to people about the spiritual truth of the gospel. Remember on the day of Pentecost, Jesus empowered his disciples to speak in different languages so that the gospel could be communicated and people were saved when that happened. They didn't have the ability to talk to those people in whatever their language is. God gave them the ability. Also, listen to this. In Luke 12, 11 through 12, it says, Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach, sorry, will teach you and in that very hour, uh, in that very hour, what you ought to say. Also in Luke 21, 14 through 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. See, Jesus is, is now, as his Holy Spirit comes upon us, he's giving us, uh, he's, he's, he's taking us really, he's taking us up into a different realm where we can communicate in the Spirit. We can communicate accurately the truth in the Spirit that people need to hear. That's awesome. Number five, when you go, serpents and poison will not hurt you. Serpents, Kentucky's kind of famous for the serpents thing, I know that. And that's weird. But here's the point here that I want to pull out, we don't have to fear for our well-being. We don't have to fear for our physical bodies. We don't have to fear for our prosperity when we're in the mission of declaring the gospel. God wants to destroy the power of fear in our lives. It would keep us from being in the mission. We don't need to fear anything when we're advancing the gospel. One of the things that I, one of the biggest things that has really been on my heart or that I've noticed during this pandemic that we're in, this this COVID-19 pandemic, is the power of fear. Uh, Man, there there is a lot of fear that is really dominating people's lives. Uh, And I'm not talking about, you know, there are things that we need to do that our doctors tell us in order to be safe and to be loving to other people, to to do what we can do to minimize the effects of this pandemic. But you've seen it. I've seen it. There is a a major spirit of fear across this country that is causing people to radically take action in their lives, change things about their lives, make life decisions, cut out part of their lives that are very significant to them because they're walking in fear. Fear is a, is a very powerful motivator. Fear, 
Fear can make you do things, but fear can also keep you from doing things that you ought to be doing. And I think that Jesus knew this. He knew that his disciples were going to be faced with fear when they decided to go out and declare the gospel. And listen, you guys, listen. When they were facing fear, it was a whole different thing than what we're facing today, right? Because we know the stories. We have the historical um, texts that would, would tell us about what happened. They were sent into pits with lions. They were burned like candles for telling the gospel. They were tortured when they went out to declare the word of God. That's not what we're facing, but we face fear in, to me, a much smaller way, but it still has power over us to prevent us from doing what we need to do from declaring the gospel. Sometimes we fear rejection. Sometimes we fear just failure, not being successful. Sometimes we fear taking our family uh, into awkward situations or situations that we think might harm them. Here, Jesus is giving an instruction. He's giving an encouragement to his disciples that you do not need to fear your personal well-being when you're about seeing the kingdom of God. You need to be willing to expose yourself to dangerous situations that bring fear to your heart and need to know that I'm going to take care of you in those situations because you are in the middle of my will. The safest place that you can be is in the middle of the will of God, extending the kingdom, irregardless of the natural repercussions of that. That's the safest place to be because you're right in the hand of God. Anybody ever heard of the plague of Siberian? Yeah, I knew, I, I knew you all would. Everybody knows about it. Uh, so there was an outbreak of a plague in Rome about 2500 A.D., uh, and they think, uh, you know, epidemiologists look back on it and they think it was smallpox. But, I mean, it was a serious plague. It was about, you know, five, they say roughly about 5,000 people would die every day in Rome. There were even members of the, uh, the emperor's household that had died of this plague of smallpox. Well, one of the interesting things about this plague is that as it was coming through and raging through Rome, uh, <laughs> The, uh, the Roman people begin to blame the Christians for this plague. And the reason they blamed the Christians for this plague was that, uh, so all the Roman people, as this plague was happening, they would go and they would offer sacrifices to their pagan gods, like their healing pagan gods. I don't know what they were, but, you know, they had the different gods that would do different things. Well, the Christians wouldn't do that. They wouldn't go uh, and offer, um, offer these sacrifices because they were, you know, committed to God, uh, Jesus only. And so what the Romans started to do is they started to say, listen, if you do not go sacrifice to these pagan idols like we're telling you to do, we're now going to start sacrificing you. And so they started to, to blame the Christians for the plague that was going on, and they started to sacrifice or to, to execute them, to kill them, because they wouldn't engage in what the secular or the pagan society was doing. Well, there was this, uh, one of the reasons we called the, the plague of Cyprian is that the bishop of the church. His name was Cyprian. And during this time, he gave a message. Uh, he gave a sermon to the congregation that we have. Uh, and uh, and it says, he said this in, in the sermon. I wanted to read this. There is nothing remarkable in cherishing merely our own people. We should love our enemies as well. The good should be done to all, 
not merely to the household of faith. And what he was specifically talking about is that the church, people in the church got smallpox, and they had these little hospitals that the church had started, and they would take care of their sick. What Cyprian is saying here is we're no longer just going to take care of our own sick, but we're going to go out and take care of the sick of the very people that are trying to destroy us, that are trying to kill us right now. And why this is significant is that a lot of, you know, today in secular society, we never want to give credit to uh, uh, Christianity for anything good. Uh, But we know that the origin of hospitals really came from the church. The church was the first group of people to establish hospitals, and these were some of the first as the church would go out and gather up these sick people with smallpox that the pagans didn't want to get around because they knew if they got in contact with those people that there was very likely that they were going to be they were going to get a disease that was very very lethal and so here you have Christians doing this charitable work of going and serving others in the face of death as they gathered it up and took care of them they were exposing themselves to, to a very lethal danger to their, to their mortal bodies. But they could do it because of these words of Jesus. They knew that they had been called to go out to share the gospel, both in word and deed, and they were willing to expose themselves to this danger. Listen to this. This is something that carried on. Later, we have a historian that says, the only care of the sick and dying during a later epidemic of of 312 to 13 was provided by Christian churches. It's pretty awesome. Church, we need to cast aside fear here and today. And we need to be willing to put ourselves in what we perceive to be dangerous situations. We need to, to cast aside our fear and go out and share the gospel. Jesus is in control. Last, number six, when you go out, you will heal the sick. When you go out, you will heal the sick. Jesus told his followers that if they were to lay their hands on the sick, that they would be healed. This is a message, again, reminding you to us. Jesus is saying, if you go and lay your hands on the sick, they will be healed. He also says that that will be a sign. When you lay your hands on the sick and they are healed, it will be for a sign. It will, it will signify, it will communicate the power of Jesus Christ to other people. It's not just like a cool thing happening, but it's a revelation of the life-giving power of Jesus. You know, it's pretty easy for us to believe, right? Because we, we see it all the time. It's pretty easy, easy for us to believe in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that when, when, when he comes into somebody's life and they are, they're spiritually dead, we believe this. We do this every day. We talk about it every day that, that the power of Jesus Christ can somehow bring that spirit to life again and that dead spirit goes from death to life into relationship with God. If the power of Jesus can bring a spirit to life, cannot that same power bring life and health to somebody's arm, to a sickness in their body? 
This is what we saw Jesus do throughout Mark. Remember the story of the woman who had who's seen hundreds, well, I don't, it doesn't say how many, but she had seen many, many physicians, and she spent all of her money on these, on these, these, these uh, medical attempts to, to heal the blood in her body, and she merely touches Jesus' garment, and she's healed instantly. In the Old Testament, this is a name of God that, that I've been meditating on. Jesus, or God reveals himself uh, to the nation of Israel as a healer God. And that name is Jehovah Rapha. God looks down on the condition of his creation and he desires to bring healing. He desires to heal the effects of sin in their broken bodies. And he wants to do it in us today as we go out and as we're sharing the gospel that people would be healed. Their sicknesses would be destroyed the works of the, the enemy and sin would be destroyed in their physical bodies. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So those were just six things out of there. I want to close with application. And we can, uh, we'll close with worship, too, to, uh, this morning. Um, so you can come on up. Uh, but just an application on this. Um, I really believe that there is a call here in the Spirit um, for us to, to remember, to get back to, to simplify um, what we're all about, what we're doing, and to, and to really come back to this commandment, to this calling, this high calling that God has of the church. And, and, and remember his last words when he was leaving and going away and wanted to leave us with something. What he said is, I want you to go. I want you to go into the world. I want you to proclaim the gospel. I want you to make disciples. I think, you know, we've, we have, in a lot of ways, allowed all of the responsibilities and things that we, we think we need to be doing to kind of run us. But I think we need to, and, and you can call it repent, I think is a good way to say it. We need to change the way that we're living our lives. And we need to let this focus of sharing the gospel to a lost world be what is the spirit of who we are, the focus of who we are uh, as a church. And here's, here's why. I think I know that Jesus, who he is, what he did on the cross, the suffering that he endured on the cross, he is worthy Jesus is worthy to receive the glory and the honor and the reward for his sufferings on the cross. He's so worthy to be adored by his creation. And, man, look around. Our world, our city, our state is desperate for something. They were in need. They are lost. They are in darkness. They are in need of the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you to, this week, um, come back to this thing, this calling that God has for us. Let it make you come alive to sharing the gospel again. And let that uh, orient your life on who we are as a church. Amen?
All right, let's stand up and we're going to, we'll close with worship this morning. Praise the Lord.